talk about 21st century trends in contemporary soteriology. But first, does anybody in the house of the Lord need to be saved today? Can I see any hands? Hallelujah. Me too. That's a good, good thing to hear. The next question is, what do you need to be saved from? Now, don't go looking at the person next to you and suggesting what they need to be saved from. <laughs> While we're all in this boat together, I think we can't start the soteriological salvation voyage until we know what port we are launched from or where we're looking to dock. Or... Why are we on this boat to begin with? In this fascinating story of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, the Spirit comes. We've got some folks saying, ah, oh, it's just a bunch of drunkards. But Peter reprimands them and pulls out everyone's favorite book of the Bible, Joel. Right? Anybody cite Joel from verse and number here? tends not to be on everyone's top ten list for a few reasons. One is that it can be a little harsh. Sound the alarm on the holy mountain, part before the prophecy we heard goes. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful army comes. Fire devours in front of them, and behind them a flame burns. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden, but after them, a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did that snippet make into your children's Bible? See, the prophets were really good at using metaphorically hyperbolic language to ascribe present tense calamities to God. In that case, locusts were devouring every food source in and around Jerusalem. Clouds of darkness surrounded them. And Joel says, this is bad news. But Joel also gives us hope. He says that God will bring early and abundant rain. God will bring threshing floors full of grain. God will bring vats overflowing with wine and oil. God will save the people. Peter sees this too when he shares Joel's prophecy that God will declare that all the, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh, that your sons and daughters shall prophesy, that the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then, since that time has come for Peter, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved. Peter preaches for a long time and says, Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. The promise is for you, for your children, for all who are far away. And according to Acts, 3,000 people were added to the number that day. 3,000! I can count on one hand the number of times I have preached and 3,000 people have come to believe in Jesus. <laughs> Zero. It's not just because of the size of the church. Salvation just isn't what it used to be. 
In the past couple centuries of American parlance, salvation was about what happens when you die. You say the prayer, I want Jesus into my heart, and we get to go to heaven. You got your ticket. And, if we're honest, it was pretty good for the past couple centuries. You could say that, and you let people know that that's what needs to happen, and people would listen to you. But it doesn't seem to work in this evangelism tool anymore. Now look at how Acts language describes salvation through what we just heard. One scholar notes that throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit has less to do with salvation than with mission. Less to do with the notions of new creation and covenant that we hear in Paul. And more to do with the centripetal movement of the church. It's not conversion or the promise of salvation understood as a shift in eternal destiny. It's Peter offering Isaiah and Joel and Deuteronomy to us, an offer of healing to those near and far, repentance and baptism, of realignment of those in Israel who rightly understood God by following the crucified, risen, and ascended Christ. This is the great realignment, as some scholars have called it. A version of the good news, the great reshuffling where Jesus comes to save us from our destructive, self-serving past to call us into the Missio Dei, the mission of God, who is making all things new. Scott McKnight calls this the King Jesus Gospel. He says, you can't get a millennial to believe in Jesus by telling them they need to repent of something. You give them a passion and a purpose, a new kingdom vision, and will line up to serve that story. I like this version of the Gospel. It suits me well. I could preach about it forever. As a matter of fact, I found a great illustration of it by one of my favorite pastor writers, Delmer Chilton. He was reacting to that sweet, sweet spirit he heard about growing up in church. He said he thinks the spirit's not like that at all, but the spirit is more like his mama. He said when he was a young teenager, mama and daddy went to work in the cotton mill to supplement the family income. Up until then, we got by on just the tobacco crop. They still raised tobacco. They did it after work on the weekends and expected a lot of help from their children. They would leave for the mill around 6.30 a.m. They would put a list of things to get done in the middle of the table for the children to see when they got up. Some to be done around the house, most in the fields. And they got home around 3.30. So we kids tried to figure out how long it would take to get the jobs on the list done. And we always waited until the last possible minute start working. One day, we had done nothing on the list. It was about 11 or 11.30 a.m. We were drinking Kool-Aid and eating peanut butter and cracker sandwiches and watching the Dialing for Dollars movie on Channel 8 out of High Point, North Carolina, when suddenly, from the kitchen door, there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire room where we were sitting, and the name of that wind was Mama. (laughs) And she was some kind of mad. She had gotten sick at work and come home early. And instead of finding her children busy about the business she had left them to do, she found them sitting around doing nothing. Mama roared into the den. The fly swatter she grabbed off the hook by the kitchen stove in hand. She drove us out of that house, across the yard, and up the hill into the fields where we were supposed to be hoeing tobacco. We danced into that field 
Mama's hand in the back of our neck, swatting at our legs and behinds while we stretched our feet and bottom as far away from her as we could to avoid the switch. Yes, brothers and sisters, Gilmer Chilton says, I believe the spirit in Acts chapter 2 is a whole lot more like my mama on a bad day than a sweet, sweet spirit, gentle breath of God we might conjure up. He concludes, the Holy Spirit is after us. The only question now is, are we going to go voluntarily, or is Mama's Spirit going to have to make us go? Now, for people like me, this is gospel. I love hearing the parts of the Bible that tell me to go, to do, to baptize, to get out there, to make justice happen, to put something together and save the world. We're a part of it. And that is gospel for many. But in reflecting on our sabbatical season here at CCPC, reflecting on our city, reflecting on our culture at this moment in time, I'm wondering if we might need to swing the pendulum back the other way. That maybe our sin is the sin of the do more. See, we believe that if we only do more, we can make the good things happen. Do more of this, do more of that, do more rallies, do more justice, do more... And God will work through us. So there's obvious good things in that. That's why it's so easy for me to preach on that and defend that piece of the gospel. I love Mama Spirit. But then sometimes we get off balance. Sometimes we forget why we're out there doing justice. Sometimes we forget what's going on, what was the end goal at all, and, and from what port did we come, and why are we sailing in the first place? I've come to believe that for myself at least, I need to swing back that sweet, sweet spirit. You may remember some of the 20th century hymns that did us well. Breathe on me, breath of God. Or spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. If you're like me, and when you hear those songs, do a little of this. Uh, I don't know about that. I'd rather be moving. I'd rather be in action, in momentum, trying to get something done. After all, Washington, D.C., we get it done. Right? Christina Cleveland is a professor at Duke Divinity School. She was speaking on the Liturgist podcast recently, and she convicted me of the need to put Christ as the center of everything we do, or else everything else is just flailing about. She's an African-American professor, and in her first tenure, she was teaching at an almost all-white evangelical school. Time after time, she would talk about reconciliation and racism, and time after time, the white boys got angry. So she had to find a way to deal with it so that she wasn't getting angry and reacted to their anger. So she discovered that as she saw one of the students' hands raise up, 
should take a deep breath and say, the image of God in me sees the image of God in you to herself. And then she would call on the student. You see what happened there? Instead of seeing this student as yet another one of her pupils that needs to be changed, converted into the right way, somebody to be fixed and solved and programmed to the way we deal with most of our culture. She stopped and said, we're on even ground. This is a child of the creator, the same creator that made me and loves me. The same Jesus that redeems me, redeemed him and deserves my love and respect, even if he is going to yell at me and told me I'm totally wrong. The image of God in me sees the image of God in you. Well, that's a very different kind of Holy Spirit, isn't it? This isn't Mama Spirit with the switch coming after us so much as the Mama Spirit that holds us when we cry. The Holy Spirit that was in the room with us as we held our loved one's hand as they passed on to life eternal. The Holy Spirit that somehow it feels like picked us up and walked with us when we had nothing left inside us. We felt downtrodden and depressed. So when we think about salvation in the 21st century, the trends are this. God is throwing us out there as part of the kingdom work. But maybe you and I need to step back and remember why we're out there in the first place. Maybe you and I need to take a deep breath full of the Ruach, the Pneuma, the Holy Spirit, and remember to whom we belong in life and in death. Maybe salvation for me is the same it is for you. That's less about taking part in the Missio Dei and more about finding my spot in the love of God. Hear the good news, my friends. The fiery mama spirit ignites us to action. Hear the good news, my friends. The Holy Spirit calls us to peace and wholeness and oneness with the creator of all things. We'll take a few moments before we take our offering. I invite you to reflect on two questions. The first, what is it that you need to be saved from? What is it that you need to be saved from? And the second, what is God's preferred future for me? What is it that I need to be saved from, and what is God's preferred future for me.